0: Welcome to this week's edition of Two Men in the Middle, We're two men in the middle of the heartland pontificate about politics, current events, foreign policy, and more. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. Craig, we start this week just off of the last January 6th committee hearing, which was Thursday night, primetime uh, television. And this one was interesting because the focus this time was on what Trump didn't do Mm -hmm. or, in some cases, what he did do during those 182 minutes when the attack on the Capitol Capitol were occurring. So there was a uh, massive emphasis on, first of all, proving the case that he knew what had happened and what was going on, uh, that there were television sets on in the White House to Fox News uh, detailing the assault on the Capitol— So there's no way he didn't know about it. And then um, what he didn't do, which was no calls to law enforcement, to the Pentagon, no calls checking on the safety of his vice president, as well as what he did do, he placed two calls to Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) And we do know that Rudy Giuliani then placed calls to specific lawmakers, friendly MAGA lawmakers in the Senate, uh, which we have those voicemails, you can listen to them, where as the riot was happening, he was still imploring them to do what they could to overturn the election. So that was the focus during those 182 minutes, was on overturning the election. As the assault was occurring, lawmakers were fleeing for their lives, putting on gas masks, and as uh, Mike Pence actually had to be evacuated twice during that time um, period.
1: I I guess watching that, didn't you think this is what the Democrats should have done for impeachment? I yes. get it. it. It was like a two-week turnaround or a nine-day turnaround or something from the 6th of the impeachment. It was very quick. And within those two weeks, if you remember, the night of the 6th, everybody comes out very strong. Lindsey Graham, I'm done with Trump. I tried to help. Mitch McConnell basically gives permission for everybody to 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 walk away from Trump. But if you remember... Very quickly after that, Kevin McCarthy goes to Mar-a-Lago and kind of does the rehabilitation tour of Trump begins. Yeah,
0: pretty so much immediately.
1: watching that, the only thing that I was thinking of is, how could they have taken this and made this the only focus of the second impeachment?
0: Oh, agree, because <clears> this <throat> has been so masterful. Now, again, there's production value. They brought sure. in the former, I think, retired president of ABC News. But it's good, because you need to be able to tell that story, that narrative, and I think that if you look at American audience today, it's very different than in past decades. There is this competition for media sources. Yeah. There is less attention span. There's social media. And so you have to really be able to tell that story. And that's where the Democrats failed and struggled to do in the first impeachment as well as the second. And they've been able to do that very well here with yeah. visualizations, with uh, you know just the, the way that this has been organized. So that has been extremely impressive. And I've heard some critics even say that uh, it rivals like the Army-McCarthy hearings of the 1950s, which were riveting television.
1: The, the production value of this, the way it's been put on, the presentation has all been – first class i 'll give the committee that I, when I was watching the other day I just kept thinking of if we could have done half of this presentation in that time if we could have found a witness or two and I get it, it would, the ground was shifting uh, was Trump in was Trump out what was the support level for Trump going forward a lot of questions maybe we couldn't have pulled that off but if we could have had just that two-hour presentation and saying, this is our impeachment. And the impeachment was about his inaction. And nobody can ever come near the president that's not willing to use the power of the presidency to protect the Capitol, the Congress, and overall democracy, and just left it at that. So it... Well, well, yes. It's adding a lot of color and a lot of, of layers and a lot of understanding to exactly what happened, the timeline it happened, and how culpable Trump was in the riot that happened on the 6th. It's done a very good job at that. What it hasn't done is produced any bombshell evidence in anything that directs Trump directly to the insurrection – so if you went into this thinking, this is finally where we're going to ultimately hold Donald Trump accountable. And the, the the evidence is coming that's going to show everybody that he directly tried to create, steer, and control that mob at the Capitol that day. That's not happening. There's indirect evidence of it. It's inferred as a, a sentient human being with a functioning brain. You can draw your own conclusions. Right. But evidence that would lead to a charge or a conviction in court is – almost impossible to generate at this point in time
0: yes and i i feel like i always want to caveat when it comes to this that this is a political not a criminal hearing and so the job before the committee is to lay out the facts and fill in the missing gaps and what we know which they've been able to do to a really good degree and then it's really up to the justice department um, whether or not they have more evidence uh than we're able to see and if they do then they're able to take the evidence that they do have, and then, along with these uh, gaps and in information that have been filled, and be able to make that case. So that's what we don't know. We don't know what the Justice Department has, um, whether they actually have evidence or not directly. Um, So all we can see is what the committee is able to obtain um, and present to us legally that's not binding.
1: And and a subpoena from from the DOJ is a lot different than a subpoena from Congress. Yeah. I mean, everything gets more serious if the DOJ actually picks this up as as an investigation.
0: Because it also means that they have more um, than what we know. But, but yeah, I think the the case to be made here is to be able to let the American people know because I think it's very easy. You look back on the events of that day and you have what, Trump said publicly or tweeted what others have said, but we never had a good, um, hour by hour, even minute by minute accounting of what happened. And for the yeah. first time we got that as, <clears throat> as close as possible to that with the 182 minutes lapse with Sarah Matthews, who is the deputy press secretary testifying what she heard, what was said to her, the outtakes with the president's statement. So we all knew that day that the president didn't want to give a yeah. statement that was recorded. I think if you watched him give the statement he gave, which yeah, was, it was a hostage video. It, yeah. He, he felt like he didn't want to be there. It was very clear. And the statement itself was very problematic because it didn't go far enough anyway. What, what but now str- you watch the outtakes yeah. and you see how for, I mean, so long, <laughs> I mean, dozens of times they struggled to get him to say more than he wanted to say. And he kept removing parts because he didn't want to admit that he yeah. lost the election. He thought that it was too strong. He sympathized with – the insurrectionists, so he didn't want to condemn them in, in yeah. strong terms. That was obvious. It,
1: it's completely clear that Trump wanted the six to happen. Once it started, regardless if that was his intent or not, to start a riot, once it started, he wanted it to continue. There, there's just no way you can look at it, I don't think, any other way. Unfortunately, to charge him with a crime, that's not going to be enough. So I think going into the the Jerry Six Committee, if that was your expectation, you were disappointed. If the expectation was they were going to make Trump more politically toxic, especially to the group of white males that he lost, which led him to lose the election. Let's remember, Trump gained in African-Americans. He gained in women. He gained in Hispanics. Why he is not the president today is because 5% of white men did not vote for him. And this whole presentation – is geared to that 5%.
0: And I will say there is evidence on the margins to show that it is having an impact. I think There's so. been this number creeping up of people who have said that um, he was culpable. That has creeped up um, than from where it was a couple months ago. There's also the number, which is the one to watch, uh, that has also risen very steadily of people who say he's unqualified to run again, um, and particularly among Republican pri- yeah. voters, primary voters. So there's been, you know, and it's still in the single digits, but But he's been uh, peeling off support among those voters, which, again, is impactful. So there is signs of that. And so I think that you have the potential for people who um, maybe were on the margins, thought what he did was wrong, or were semi-indifferent, who are kind of seeing all this happen and saying, well, he's too toxic. We can't run him again because there's just too much baggage there.
1: I think this will prevent that 5% of white men who may have been Trump triers— yeah, are just just so yeah agitated that at 2016 they just couldn't vote for Hillary. Let, let's give this a shot. That's going to keep these committee these these committee hearings will keep that five percent from coming back to Trump. Also, it'll probably add some more percentage points to, that. to
0: it. And we know that and it's that's what they were trying to do. That's what they were trying to do. And we know it's been somewhat successful because Trump has been very angry during the whole time. I mean, he's lashed out at McCarthy because again, I and I think that was a mistake on McCarthy's part to completely pull out because they have no you know skin in the game now like it's all one-sided and trump doesn't have the ability to do any type of rebuttal
1: but what what's saving trump right now
0: in terms of his support or
1: yes i think you just said it you just made me think of it what what ultimately is saving donald trump right now he's off twitter
0: yeah. Uh, that's, He's yeah. off
1: Twitter. That's a good point. Okay. This is, this is, the, this is the case against, uh, against censorship. He doesn't have that reach. He yeah. would be reliving looking like a maniac to the entire country responding to what's happening on the 6th. So, uh, yeah, what's saving Trump the, – the committee has actually been less impactive because Trump cannot directly respond to it on Twitter to a mass audience. It just reinforces what a lunatic he actually is. So censorship giveth, censorship taketh away.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I do think on um, par, I mean, this is – it's definitely hurting him, and I think that's also impacting why he wants to declare his candidacy from what reports have said much earlier. And in some cases, perhaps before the midterm elections, which has Republicans nervous because if he does that – I mean, that can change, have an impact on the outcome of those elections. So, again, I feel like we're in this scenario where this should be a banner year for the Republicans. They should make extremely wide gains. But if you combine like the poor recruitment on the Senate side with Trump getting involved before the midterms, there's the potential that they could limit their gains significantly because of that. And so we're looking at 2014 all over again, but with Trump in the mix this time— um, not unlike 2018, right? I mean, again, it's there. So that that's that's the issue, and Trump cannot be controlled. And at the end of the day, it's all about Trump and what he wants to do. And, and I don't know why Republicans can't realize this. Like he really doesn't um, care. I mean, he cares about his candidates winning as far as his win loss ratio. Sure. sure, but he at the end of the day, he really doesn't no. care about control of the House or the Senate. He cares about his personal yes. prospects as president.
1: Well, and the January 6th committee, I think, is also impacting J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, and Marshall yeah. Walker, because those are his three hand-picked, hand-selected Senate candidates. And to your point, people are saying, okay, not only are we talking about putting Trump back in 2024, we're going to put three, three acolytes in with him. I mean, we're going to put three people that owe everything to him and seem to have no interest really in participating in the Senate at all. I think as the January 6th committee, as it's as it's filled in the colors of this picture and it's made what's happened more clear and more vivid, there has to be a downstream effect, I would think, on the on the candidates that that Trump has has endorsed. And yeah. the, the gentleman from Pennsylvania running for governor that for some reason I cannot ever remember his name, Masterton Master
0: uh, Massiano.
1: Masiano. This has to be killing him too.
0: Oh yeah. I, I mean I, and he's the most extreme yeah. out of all of them. Yeah, Because he
1: just basically said if Trump don't win the twenty twenty four election and I'm governor, I just ain't signing the yeah. thing. I'm just gonna blow the whole thing. And up. he
0: gets to appoint the Secretary of State in yeah. Pennsylvania, unlike another state. So he has direct control. So
1: do you you think five percent of We'll say 5% of, of moderate Republican white suburban dudes. Do you th- I think they would be very uncomfortable with Trump and those four people in office, and oh, I yeah. think they see him as, as a package.
0: I completely agree, and I think I, – I don't know the best way to summarize and to easily tell the story, but there's uh, plenty of articles out. Um, Axios had one of the most comprehensive pieces on this. The insider plan by Trump Inc. Um, and his closest MAG advisors to remake the federal bureaucracy for his 2024 term, assuming <laughs> he wins office. Um, so, and this was in the news cycle. Um, back uh, in the last remaining months of his presidency, the waning months, so I would say this was sometime, I think it was like December, January, before he was completely out of office, he signed an executive order that quickly was repealed by Biden called, regarding schedule, it was called Schedule F. Yeah. So the whole of, idea was yeah. it would give Trump the authority to yeah. completely overhaul mm-hmm. career civil servants and get rid of them. So these are civil servants who remain in the agencies throughout multiple presidential administrations, yeah. non-political, non-partisan, and he wants loyalists, and he he wants the ability to completely remove and replace them with people that are completely loyal to him.
1: He, he, he He's learning. Yeah. He knows what stymied him the last time. He doesn't have a learning curve anymore.
0: So his team has this plan in place to have him immediately sign that on day one. Absolutely. And they're creating this short list of loyalists uh, mm. that they are questioning literally on mm. a monthly basis to make sure that they are <clears> remaining 100% loyal uh, to fill all of these Perspective vacancies from the people that they are going to fire.
1: You you put him back in at day one. He knows the grift already. It probably took him a good two years to learn it as in his first term. Trump in a a magnitude of danger to the country is tenfold if he gets back in. Oh, completely. And I don't think
0: we can't overstate the significance of this norm being broken because we have always relied on a uh, civil. Uh, servant uh, bureaucracy federal um, that has uh, based on expertise based on um, knowledge, longevity, and if you completely wipe that away, um, you're going to have entire agencies sure. and departments that yeah. are completely ineffective yep. and and literally won't be doing their job. They will just be doing the bidding of the president um, from political. Standpoint.
1: Brandon, I thought that was core to conservative values: incremental change, consistency, no big cuts at it. Limited it's but effective to move government. Slow. Yeah, right. Limited but effective. Uh, you you guys used to believe that expertise mattered, experience right. matters. I guess all of that were just all Down
0: out the window. And that's what I find most scary. Yeah.
1: I want to talk about Trump's real legal jeopardy in the state of Georgia. And I don't want to talk about it in the context of Trump. Because for to me, that's the the most that's the least interesting part of the story. Well, I'm
0: glad you bring this up because I think I don't know why this gets overlooked, because again, there's all the sexiness of the DOJ and whether or not they charge Trump. But the one that is most likely and will most likely have the most impact would be the Georgia investigation.
1: So I've 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 asked people to do this on the pod before. But if, you're, if your team left, you got to find at least two or three different legal people on the right for you to follow and that who are straight shooters, who are not there just giving the narrative, right. that when they tell you something about what's happening on their side, you, you can believe them. My three are Andy McCarthy, David French, and Sarah Isger. Those are the three folks that that, if I need to know something and I don't want to get caught in liberal spin, those three generally will lay it out pretty, pretty clearly for you what what's happening. so trump Trump's legal jeopardy in Georgia stems from the phone call where he told, was it Rattensperger or the AG at that point in time? Listen, just find like 12,000 votes. I don't care where you do it. Yeah. I just need you to find the votes. I'll, I'll, was I'll the take care was the secretary of Rat- state, yeah. Was it the governor or was it?
0: Secretary of state. So, yeah. And so he called Rappensburger <laughs> up, said to find these votes. And he was very clear because I think at one point he even mentioned the exact number that he was behind, the yes. 13,000 number. He's like, um, so I don't care where it comes from. just fine. And then there was also the implicit threat behind that saying that uh, something to effect there will be consequences. Well, his
1: intent was clear. Too, you just give me the votes or just say you've got the votes say I'll, yeah i'll take care of the pretty rest.
0: clear make it up like yeah. you go whatever means necessary so it wasn't even about finding legal votes yeah. it was just find votes
1: so i heard david french read this the georgia statute i'm not going to try to remember it but it's very broad and it covers a whole lot of stuff like even asking hey brandon can you just help me out here could you just help me buy that is clearly illegal Mm-hmm. Just just the ask we 're not even getting into did he imply there would be consequences if if he didn 't so I think it 's clear that by the letter of the law Trump absolutely violated that that statute. The interesting part is. Should the state of Georgia move forward with a prosecution of an ex-president for an act that he did while he was a sitting president? And you and I kind of warmed up on this topic. And I think we we, we we're taking the role reversal. I think we're on opposing sides. Yeah, we're yeah. on opposing sides of this. And I'm taking the more traditional conservative side of no way, absolutely should not. And I started my argument to you, Brandon, with the evidence and the my analogy was Ken Paxton, the attorney general in Texas, who's been char- he's been indicted with a crime, but he hasn't been charged for like over three years. We don't know how that happened. That's just a goofy Texas thing, I guess. Do you think the attorney general of Texas, which, by the way, I believe the Republican, who is a Republican, and the Republican Party in Texas has voted to say the 2020 election is not legitimate. I believe that also multiple times under Alan West's leadership, they voted to secede from the union. Do you not think Ken Paxton is going to charge Biden with something, some violation of Texas law?
0: I mean it's it's possible but and this is where you and I differ because I think that what Trump did was such an existential threat to mm-hmm. democracy and to our norms in terms of having fair and free elections that that he should be charged and I also think that and you can call it a norm if you want but this idea that we don't charge you know presidents and especially um former presidents with crimes that they've committed does us a disservice as a country uh, since we have this precept that everybody is equal under the law. Well, apparently everybody's not equal under the law because if you're former president, um, that doesn't apply because we have this uh, you know, unstated norm that you know, we're not going to t- yeah. charge you because of potential you know, disruptions to national unity and so forth. But well, that I, should it be the case?
1: I think that's the one thing that Trump proved to everybody. No. The laws do not apply to the president of the United States. We all kind of strongly suspected it. Trump just laid it out there to bear.
0: And see, I would say we're already entering into a new era. So considerations of what Republicans may or may not do – I don't think, should be given significant weight in this case because they're going to take those actions anyway. Before all of this happened, Republicans have already announced that if they gain back the House, they are going to impeach Biden. This for whatever part of my reasons. Point. Yes. And so that's going to happen. But I think we also have to differentiate between impeachment, which is a political action, and uh, courts of law, which are based on the rule of law and actual laws being broken or not broken, not just presidential ethics. And... So Republicans, yes, they could say we're going to charge, but again, there would need to be weight behind those charges. There would need to actually be evidence that the this president or that president broke those laws as they applied. Um, and federal is one thing, but, but that becomes more difficult to prove in state courts, I mean, with existing presidents, yeah. especially, let alone former presidents. I, I
1: think that our core disagreement is that you still believe that the facts, the truth, what actually happened, and the law apply. And I've become so cynical <laughs> that if there's power to be gained by it, it will be done. It does not matter. My evidence of this is I just watched the Republican – the leader of the Republican Party, the president of the United States, and the gentleman who is hands down favored to be your next Republican um, nominee for the presidency run through, what, 65 cases about the election that none of those rules of evidence applied. He had no evidence. There was no truth behind any of that. They knew it. It, it. I just watched the leader of the Republican Party and the president of the United States march into court over 60 times or send his lawyers into the court mm-hmm. over 60 times and tell an absolute whopper of a lie.
0: And he lost all those cases, though. He, he did. So, he did.
1: But he still went forward. He still did it. He still got the publicity. He he still got the messaging. You don't think that just by that alone is worth it to no, Ken Paxton? Because, I mean, that's... To Ken Paxton not not to Ken you Ken Paxton is already doing Ken that Paxton. though with
0: the Biden administration i mean that's what Texas i'm saying he's already doing it against... he's
1: already you don't think he'll follow the logical conclusion and just charge biden with a crime
0: well i think i mean he may but again that's not going to be upheld without significant evidence i think that, i mean he could charge so say you know yeah. tomorrow he charges biden with a uh, i'm not crime saying convicted not...
1: i'm saying charged i'm not saying convicted
0: I I think it's a slippery slope, though, when we withhold charges uh, because we're afraid of what opponents or, you know, what others may do in the future. I mean, because that, that becomes an obstacle to justice. It's justice not rendered at that point. And taken to its logical conclusion, then there is no basis to then ever charge a former president because we're at this precipice now of what the other side may do. And we're in this tit for tat. But and there's no good into that then because then – I mean you can have all manner of not only norms broken but laws broken, and there won't be any consequence because we're afraid to actually go there with charges.
1: In 2016, the one of the primary chants by the Republicans at the convention was lock her up over and over and over mm-hmm. again. The Republicans wanted a legal um, law enforcement remedy. For something that they thought was not fair. You don't see any logical extension of that to charging an ex-president.
0: I, I guess I do, but I say I feel like they're going down that road anyway. So what we do from this point, is it going to exacerbate it? It's not yeah. going to like we're already there. And so – if there is strong evidence against Trump and prosecutors in Georgia don't come forward and they just say we're not going to prosecute, I don't think it changes anything in the Republican playbook in terms no. of what they will do in the future.
1: So you're saying we're so far down the
0: hole. It's too late. That's it's what I'm saying. It's too late. Yeah.
1: They're going to do it anyway. We'll just go by the rule of the law.
0: Completely agree. Yep. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I-
1: again i i am down with charging trump uh, as much shit as he's pulled i am totally down with charging him for any crime that can that meets the 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 uh, that he meets the criteria of having committed i'm just saying wow we better get ready cuz there's going to be a lot of repercussions and it for speaks that.
0: volumes the fact that he wants as so adamant about trying to declare his candidacy before the end of the year because uh-huh. he wants to use that as uh, as a shield, as a shield against prosecutors 100%. who would be, you know, yeah. not want to charge a sitting political candidate. I mean, he knows all this. But
1: Brandon, this is baked into our system all, all over the place. I mean, the fact that uh, journalists didn't want to run the Hunter Biden story because they said it was too close oh, to no, a thing. Yeah. The I DOJ agree. has Big an mistake. actual policy that says, if we're in an election year, pull back. Yeah. We don't want to. so, Political bias and political maneuvering is
0: all over. But also, see, and uh, we were talking about this offline, that didn't prevent the DOJ from holding back in 2016, though, against Hillary Clinton. She was a sitting candidate. Yep. They publicly announced they were opening an investigation. Then they closed it. Then they opened it days before the election again. Yep. So you had
1: <laughs> And if you don't think that made an impact...
0: Oh, it completely did, yeah. How- but, I'm, but that's what I'm saying. I'm like, we're already so far down that okay. road. Like, I, I. So you're saying that if we just
1: if we, we can't go guns down we can't get together and say this was all stupid it's just all dumb we can't no because i just think can't keep going you like are this. under
0: operating under the assumption that there's going to be some type of truce or you know in this political war yeah. and that mm-hmm. the other side is going to play by whatever yeah. rules that are set forth and that's not going to happen i think that there is this mentality now whatever it takes Politically, we are going to do everything, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the norms, to see what sticks. Like, there's no, this isn't like, you know, the 1980s or 1990s where, you know, all, both sides played by these established norms, understood the rules of the game, were unwilling to cross certain lines. Like, those lines have already been crossed. More lines are going to be crossed. There's nothing to stop that at this point.
1: So we're in a conflict that there's – that negotiated settlement is not an option is what you just said.
0: Yes, exactly. That's what. Okay. That's how I feel. I just – there's no coming back from it at this point. Then it's if, a point of no return.
1: If, if there is no negotiated option, then it's to the last man then. Everything that can be done will be done, and that's where it feels like we're – that's what it feels like we're heading. To me, that would that would make me so disappointed if – Trump's lasting, Trump's done all of this damage to the presidency. And then his lasting legacy was he gets charged with something, it doesn't stick, he never goes to trial, he never spins it, because that's never gonna, gonna happen. And it leads to a series of more political charges, criminal charges for people when they leave office. That would just be the punctuation mark. On his his uh, absolute crapping of all over it, it the presidency would. of the United States, and,
0: and I do want to, and we
1: deserve it because we, did, we, we deserve put it.
0: it. And I want to step back for I don't want to be all doom and gloom, and that's why I am so adamant that Trump is an existential threat to democracy. I'm under no illusions that. What he started, this banner of populist authoritarianism, will continue on. It will. But it's going to be less organized and less unified without him at the helm. So if he is uh, extinguished from political life and no longer has a role in our political debate as a candidate, as a mover and shaker, uh, I think that the movement behind him uh, becomes much more— Disorganized and, uh, and 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 starts to just unravel, and it's not going to have the strength that it has now. And then that is the potential for us to slowly yeah. try to get regain some norms that have been lost.
1: I was playing this next question out my mind, and, and it made me realize I sound like I sound like a sixteen year old girl here, Brandon. But how are we going to quit this guy? My side can't quit him because he's he just provides too much. Fuel and too much narrative. We will not let him drop because if we're talking about him, we're talking about something more disgusting than our own performance in government. And you can't let him go because you don't know what else is is out there or what's next. How How, how is this going to get flushed out? What don't we have to reach some sort of negotiated settlement to say, okay, here, here's how we're we're going to do this? You don't you can, run him, we won't charge him.
0: You can only reach some type of negotiated settlement at the point where there is a realization and an acknowledgement and understanding that he can no longer help certain politicians yeah. politically. Because until that happens, you are going to have politicians like Holly, Josh Holly, like others. Um, you're going to have this substantial segment of the party that will remain in his good graces and loyalty because it politically um, it is advantageous to them. So until you make him toxic um, you know to the vast majority of office holders in the party where it's not going to impact their reelections, then you're not going to be able to have a negotiated settlement because at the end of the day, it's always going to be about retaining political power. And if you have office holders that see any type of negotiated settlement as a threat to their ability to retain power, which Trump will seize upon and say, you're a rhino, you sold out. I mean, he's done that to Mitch McConnell to some, I mean, on small insignificant things, but I completely believe that a fragmented MAGA opposition is much more preferable long-term to getting, back slowly to where we need to be than a unified opposition led by Trump himself.
1: Yeah, I I think I agree with you that, you know, my my ideas of, hey, can't we all get back, can't we all find a space that we all occupied 20 years ago? We're we're probably past that. There's probably no path back to where we were. But that doesn't mean we can't forge something moving forward. And I think what what the problem is we're gonna forge on two different ways. I don't think we're going to do it together. The Democrats are running in a polar opposite direction of the Republicans. There is no coming together, and at some point, somebody's just going to have to choose which way we go. Yeah. It's, and I don't know what that looks like.
0: I mean, the the choices that we make, and I always go back. I, I mean, part of this and – and it may be a little bit too simplistic to say you have to get Trump out of the way. Part of what – Led to Trump. I mean, Trump didn't happen in a vacuum. We've talked before about the rise of Sarah Palin. You can go back to Newt Gingrich. Yeah. There's been these like steps along this path, but it all goes back to like our primary system sucks. The way yeah. we elect, yep. uh, choose people in the primaries, it is conducive to this type of outcome and to these type of extreme candidates that can just kind of run roughshod over the will of the American people. We we have to. We need electoral reform. And so that is a major obstacle. And that's not something you're going to have done at the federal level at any point. So that has to be a state-by-state and a local effort to get there. And so you're going to have to have different organizations come together to handle that that aspect. But I feel like a lot of it has been predicated. We've had this system a long time in terms of the way we've elected people. We've seen how people can take advantage of that and circumvent the will of the voters in that way. Um, What also concerns me long-term is the continuing um, gap that's going to exist, that's growing between the electoral college and the popular Mm -hmm. vote over time. We didn't have gaps like that um, 20, 30 years ago. Those gaps are becoming more and more pronounced. I was reading analysis on uh, 538 about how um, even if Democrats win uh, by, like, one or two points in the popular vote, that's not enough to no. win the Electoral College. They can still use, lose the Electoral yeah. College handily. So really, Biden's—I think it was—what uh, did he have? A four-point-something percentage in the popular vote. Like, that was enough to eke out an Electoral yeah. College win. But anything less than that almost, half of that is not enough Damn. to win the Electoral College. That's a problem. I mean we've only had one Republican in the past 30 years that has won the national popular vote. That's
1: a problem. (laughs) As somebody who's never voted for a Republican in my life, that's a problem.
0: It's a problem. It's
1: a problem we have to to solve for. It's a problem with the party. It's a problem with the system. That represents – that that should be one of the road flares going off for people, that one of the major parties in the United States has not won the popular vote for president in, what did you say, 30 years?
0: Yeah, 2004. But George has held the
1: office of the presidency multiple times. Yep. I will give Biden some credit this week when he did not use the emergency powers to uh, declare climate change an, an emergency. This is an example of Trump broke that norm when he declared the border an emergency. And even people like Mark Meadows were saying, this is not good. This is not what you want to do. This sets a precedent down that's going to be used in ways that you don't want it to be used to. Right. I think Biden stood up to the, to the progressive left a little bit. I don't expect that that resiliency to stand. No. At some point, I think he caves and he declares a climate change emergency, I have no clue what how that broad means. How broad-based
0: it'll be, what it'll include. I don't yeah. know
1: how far he's willing to go, but I do know, if you want something done about climate, pass a fucking law. It is not something done by fiat by the president. Right. And it's just another sign of, once the Senate has taken itself offline, this is what you get.
0: So, that's a good kind of segue um, uh, into, I, how do you feel about uh, so there's been a couple of votes this week. Democrats are putting forward on gay marriage and yeah. contraceptive use um, i don 't know how you feel about that. I personally think um, that it's kind of smart politically to put Republicans on the record for this and say, "Hey, if these threats are potentially or these rights are potentially under threat, um, put out your cards. Where do you stand on yeah. this?" And I think it was striking—well, first, a couple of things. Uh, On the gay marriage vote, I was actually surprised that there were 47 Republicans that voted for that. I I guess I expected less. Um, But uh, I do think that that one has potential for passage in the Senate to get 10 votes and to be able to break a filibuster. So that's interesting. And if so, that's a win that the Democrats can tout. Um, contraceptive vote is um, that it's a one's more tricky. That one's more tricky. That one only had eight Republican votes. Yeah,
1: Brandon, shouldn't you, as a Republican senator, be introducing the bill to make uh, birth control over the counter and non-prescription and paid for by the federal government? Uh, it seems like I mean, it would be a smart move. Since to do. abortion, yeah, is being restricted, wouldn't the next logical step say we're going to help people, women? Avoid I mean, and where
0: would that have most political impact? Suburban women, suburban college-educated yeah.
1: women, who you want to be who with? The but instead, need. you can't get all of your party to get on. No. I I think those votes are are straight political votes. I think they have to be done. I think it's a good idea. What you're doing is you're you're, you're making campaign commercials at this point in time, and I hope what what the Democrats are doing are starting the theme of just think about it. Just think about what you're doing. Hey, I'm not going to – if the Democrats cut a commercial touting their own success, that, that that's a laugh riot at that point. Even the successes that they have, nobody wants to talk or hear about at yeah. this point in time. And they're overridden by Afghanistan and other things the administration has screwed the absolute pooch on. the. To me, the winning formula or the formula that keeps the Senate and minimizes the damage as best you can in the House is – this is what these people fear. are. Not all of these people are right. this, but there is a bigger proportion than you would be comfortable with who will vote for shit like this. It's
0: fear. It's reminding voters that hey, you may be unhappy with us, you may be frustrated, you may not like what we're doing. I, but this is what the I, I, other side. I don't want to be do.
1: fearful. I just want you to say, just look. I'm not telling you they're bad. I'm not telling you that Marjorie Taylor Greene and um, that idiot from Florida Gates are going to wreck the country. They're not existential threats. They're morons. We've always had morons in government. I don't want to scare you. I just want you to say, just take an honest look at those people. Do you have anything in common with them? Is this what you want? I think there's a way there that we could weave a very effective message together if we had any leadership of the Democratic Party, which we do not.
0: Well, and I do think, and I know you don't like to word, use the word fear, but I do think the potential loss of rights or that looming on the horizon is very strong motivation. It's a little bit different. I think on the uh, abortion issue, like anti-abortion, yeah. pro-life people, they've been motivated for years because they've been on the other side trying to change the law. It's a little difficult to stay motivated now when Roe v. Wade has been overturned. What you know, what's you're not as energized as you were before then um, on the federal level to get out and vote because it's like, well, we've already realized our goal here. We're Whereas yeah. the left, you know, they've been complacent for many years, right? Because it was an assumption that Roe yeah. would always be there. It's not now. So yeah. they can't be complacent. They actually have to be motivated to, to get out.
1: And don't get me wrong. I'm not above playing on fear. That would be one commercial. The next one would be the fear about abortion rights. Yeah. I think at this point, we've got to take a, a tact of everything. Everything's in, in play. But we do have to center around what are we talking about What is the benefit of us being here? And If the benefit of us being here, all we can come up with is they are not here, then let's get to it. If that's what the message is going to be, Let's start cultivating that. Let's start, start planting that throughout candidates. Let's start developing that so we can tweak it so we're the best we can be come the midterms. Yeah. I'm afraid we're going to lose momentum in that area through the January 6th committee. There's people out there saying, oh, just wait. We're going to drop some bomb in September, and that's going to change. No, it, it's not. The only thing that changes it, if we get off our ass and do something – ground level that makes sense to the people we're trying to talk to, presents ourselves in the most positive way we can. And I know this is a pipe dream, but some sort of vision for what we want the future have to, to have be. That, yeah. Can we just go back to the basics of what a political campaign is and maybe we'd do better? I don't know.
0: Well and there is a I think a, a silver lining so one bright spot I did want to highlight which is critical is that there is this bipartisan working group that has crafted language with enough support to uh, reform the electoral, Count, electoral College Count Act of 1887, which would explicitly say the vice president has a ceremonial role that under no circumstances can he deviate um, from the electoral votes that have already been yeah. cast and approved by Congress. Um, it also firms up um, some lingering issues with the way that those counts are conducted it, and the president. Isn't it that you have
1: to have 80 people in the House and, like, 20 senators or something? They give a percentage, but— it breaks out to to that. object for an objection. Yeah, to object. Yeah. Yeah. got to have like twenty senators yes. and eight. And, and this this is
0: critical because this will prevent any. Um, you know, if if Trump were, God forbid, to become president again and pick somebody as his VP who would, no matter what, you know, contest, you know, the vote, yeah. this would prevent that from happening. And there's enough votes behind it. Um, so so again, this may seem, you know, with everything going on, small and insignificant, but it really isn't. It's something that should have been done a long time ago.
1: How significant is that? Because Trump would have, Trump could have cost, cost that bar. He had 120 people in the house. You mean he couldn't dig up 20 senators? I
0: think that'd be pretty easy for an objection. Yeah. Well, I mean th- that part is true, but I think on the the VP solidifying what sure. the VP can do is is key because that was a legal argument that was th- thrown out, but has been made by Trump's yeah. lawyers in terms of what the, the VP can do, and we'll see what the final language looks like, but. I, I, that um, legislation has needed updates for a long time. It's how, been. How about
1: the Senate and House can't object to the to the slate of electors. The governor from the state has to object because that he's the governor of the state that the election was held
0: in. Right, and he's
1: not part of the federal government.
0: And what if you made the governor and the secretary of state? There Maybe you go that would be you know firm it up more. I mean, in terms of – I get of...
1: Republicans talking about this because I think this has. I think Mitch McConnell supports this, but if you if you Come up with a new rule to prevent something that just happened, and the rule you suggest wouldn't have prevented the thing that happened, because the objection still would have been there. Is that is that enough? Is is my question. I get it, Pence, the, the role of Pence, that would have taken that out, but I don't think if this rule was in place, that would would that wouldn't have stopped
0: the six, that, it would have. that
1: wouldn't have stopped Trump, I don't I don't think.
0: Yeah, the objection would have still I mean gone I can forward. name
1: 10 southern states off the top of my head that their their senators would have objected. I don't think that would have been that high of a bar to meet. I don't know. I guess when I heard about that, yes, step in the right forward. If that's all we can get for now, so be it. Let let let's do it. But I that's not a stopping point. I don't I don't
0: yeah. think. I, well, I agree there there's more that has to be done. I mean, that's just the beginning.
1: But back to to Biden a little bit and this this um not declaring climate change a, a disaster. I mean, I think under under the disaster declaration, could Biden step in and start telling private industry what they have to adjustments they have to make because of the climate emergency? Certainly sounds yeah, like he could it try. Sounds it. Sounds like he could. Could he put limits on imports and exports of certain? Absolutely. I think this is something that I give Biden credit for not doing it. But this is again, the seal was cracked by Trump declaring the southern border an emergency when it was not. Eventually, yeah. I think Biden's going to fold after the midterms, and he's going to make this climate emergency thing real because he knows they're going to lose the house, and once they do that, everything is is gone. Yeah, and I just, I just, it just pisses me off that we we still don't know what Joe Manchin is and how to use him. <laughs> And it's just it's just so ridiculous when I so, can't I can't believe Joe Manchin. You can't believe the coal baron from West Virginia who takes money from coal and whose constituency are coal miners would, didn't vote for that. Yeah, uh, really. Just just put a goddamn Republican in there. Just lose the seat. Just so, just uh, be done with it.
0: So I, I and I'm confused. Like you know they I, the last I heard is there was talk about Democrats just going along with whatever Joe Manchin wanted at this point because that was all they could get. Like. Are they going to go along with that? I mean, is anything going to happen, no. or is that stalled now? And
1: this is the second part that proves how un- fundamentally unserious my side is. Because if you were really serious about some of these things, you would break out the most popular pieces that Manchin could support, and you'd pass them.
0: Yeah. just do those as standalone. So
1: why are we all up, all up Manchin's ass again? For what? Just, just get rid of the – just give the seat – kick him out of the party. He, he, what I don't understand is why can't we say, listen, Manchin's on our team. But he's on our team for judges. He's on our team for appointments. Um, And he has a very narrow domestic legislation that he can support for us. But he's still on the team. It's better than have a Democrat sitting there than an R. And we, again, your party hates the government and doesn't want to govern. My party loves the government and wants to govern, and we have no idea what we're doing.
0: Yeah. That's the choice the American people have. I mean, they lack strategy and lack any type of coherent. Plan. With all this talk about energy
1: prices, Brandon, what's the 10-year energy policy of the United States? I have no idea. I have, I have no clue. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Do we, know have, we have one? Do we have a forward-looking energy policy about how we're going to make this transition off carbon fuels to... Our,
0: no. I don't think so.
1: Okay. So that's still just floating around in the political realm and we'll just slap each other around political with that. We really don't have any real plan or... Idea of how to pull ourselves along, energy wise. It doesn't on seem like we fuels. do any
0: type of long-term strategy anymore no. on anything, let alone energy, which is crucial to our economy and to the planet.
1: Let's pivot that to our last topic. Just to, how do you feel about Joe Biden? Let me ask you. Let me ask you a series of questions. Don't answer them if you don't want to. Was Biden the first Democrat that you voted for for president?
0: Uh, he was. Yeah. Okay.
1: Wow that that hurts my soul as a Democrat <laughs> right there. <laughs> Okay, so if this was your first Democrat, how, how is Biden meeting your expectations?
0: Uh, I mean, it's been very disappointing, <laughs> yeah. I, again, I, um, from a very low bar of just um, stability and, and lack of chaos in the exec, executive branch, Like, I appreciate what he's done. But outside of that, there's been just no movement on yeah. anything, and he seems to be stuck with these low approval ratings uh, is not able to speak well to what his administration can or should be doing on the economy. Um, There seems to be a reluctance by his staff to engage on that. You know, they just seem to be heads down um, without seeming to realize that the ramifications of not being out there communicating what you're doing or what you're trying to do to stabilize prices and help middle-class families so, yeah, and then, of course, you have the progressives that are unhappy that he hasn't done <laughs> enough or gone far enough, um, which would be detrimental to him politically um, as well. But, yeah, it's just it's, – it's frustrating, and I don't feel like we're anything's going to change in terms of where he is. He no. just seems mired there for the rest of his term. Which makes it unfathomable to me that he would run for another term.
1: To me, that's the best thing that could happen. Just lose the house and just sit there for two years.
0: Yeah, that's
1: what you're going to do anyway.
0: Well, and then at least he can, you know, put up the uh, excuse that Republicans have: the legislative branch. I can't do anything. I'm stuck.
1: Picture Biden without the Senate, and I think Biden secretly didn't want the Senate. He wanted at least one of those. Senate seats to stay in Georgia to stay. Biden, without control of the Senate, it's a completely different presidency. Oh, it is, yeah. Because all of the Build Back Better and all of this stuff just, just goes away. There isn't
0: the pressure there either, yeah. Not from and, the, and the I would, base.
1: Maybe there would have been an opportunity for Afghanistan to go a little bit different too. Brandon, would you consider voting for a Democrat again?
0: Um, I would. It depends on who the nominee <laughs> is and who the Republican nominee is, I guess, yeah. I, I just, I mean, we're in... You know, but it can't be. It, Biden and Trump are both so deeply unpopular. So it's crazy to me that we could have a redo yeah, of 2020. God, you have, just shoot me. And think about this. I mean, Biden will be 81 during that campaign, Trump will be 79.
1: Biden cannot, he cannot campaign. I, yeah. I, I go back to it again Jimmy Fallon, they had to cut the camera off of him. He was babbling so much. He told a story last week that he has or had cancer, which no can
0: validate. Did the he wife, even clarify that it was when he was a they, child? Or I mean, They talked would've...
1: about he's had some skin cancer, like tags or moles removed. Maybe that was it, but he was talking about where he grew up or something. You could wipe oil off the like oil residue off wind. Again, he goes off on these homespun tangents, telling you a story about his boyhood, that are completely false, made up, and just the ramblings of an old dude. And my biggest complaint about Trump was that the, the president's most, most powerful tool are his words. Trump chose to, diminima, to diminish his and give his away for entertainment value and, and political expediency. Yeah. Biden just doesn't have any. Yeah. That's the difference. He just doesn't. What would Biden speak about that you would be interested in listening to? Nothing. Would you attend to like a Biden rally or a Biden speech?
0: Oh, No. No. Yeah.
1: No. So one president just just was a twelve year old, and now we have one who just doesn't have the the mental or physical energy.
0: Well, and what's interesting is is, you know, they both ramble on differently, but they both ramble. Like I mean I and that's why I would not go to a speech for either of them. I mean Trump gives like these two and three hour speeches where he rambles on. Did
1: you see Trump's quote that life begins at eighty? No. (laughs) Somebody was making fun of Biden for being old and like it suddenly clicked in his head that hey, I'm gonna be Biden's age. Yeah. When I run for president, so he, he's out there letting people know that he, he might be old, but he's not old, old. He's, he's not Joe Biden old. I mean he's, he's old, but he's not, he's not, he's not that.
0: Maybe I'll have on another one of those moments you know, during the debate where he reminds us that he's a senior too. God, that's,
1: that was the, the greatest line of all time. Is there anything Biden can do to help revive his presidency? Or is it just a take your lumps at the midterm and just, just pack it in?
0: I mean, I th- I think the economy. I mean, I think um, gas prices coming down, inflation stabilizing. I think nobody's under any illusions that inflation is going to completely just no. drop rapidly. But if it can stabilize and you can have a continued uh, reduction in gas prices, that could help him. Um, but I, I feel like anything else, like I don't see... You know, any other issues helping get him out of the, you know, 40s in terms of approval where he's stuck?
1: Gas prices came down this week. I think gas is is, down like a dollar in Missouri from its high.
0: Yeah. And it's in Kansas here, it's like the 380s. It was, you know, 439 several weeks ago. So oil
1: last week briefly fell to under $100 a barrel. So Mm -hmm. oil is about 100 bucks a barrel. Right. Looking at some calculators I found on from the Googler machine. If oil is hundred dollars a barrel, the price of gas on average should be around three twenty six nationally. Yeah. And for us in Missouri, we we usually run about thirty cents ish or more, about thirty to thirty five cents below the national average. Right. Just our taxes are, are pretty lean. That would put that should that would mean with the price of oil, our gas should be about two ninety, 290, two ninety five a gallon. It's not. And the reason it's not is what we talked about last week mm-hmm. is refinery capacity. I say this because I do not believe the opportunity to drive gas down to two twenty two ten those cheapy ranges that everybody feels good about right i don't that's not going to happen. there's going to be a limit to how much they can drive the price down just based on the price of crude alone so three dollar and thirty cent gas that might just be the new two twenty that just might be the mark that everybody just has to has that's to live normal, with yeah until this, well, until we, are we going to build more refineries? Are we just done? What are we, what, what are we doing? Right. So, or
0: until uh, we move into the next phase. Of yeah. energy, Gas isn't yeah. going to,
1: it's going to come down, but it's not going to be where people are feeling really, really good about it. Brandon, what, what does the country need right now? Don't you feel like we, we need something? I think we both have talked several times that we think we're, we're out of focus a little bit. This is not, we're not operating at our, our highest level. I think everybody knows that and would agree with that. What, what gets us back? What, what knocks us that little quarter turn of the lens back into focus that things become a little sharper and clearer and we get back to just feeling and operating a little bit more about how we're used to operating in, in America.
0: Well, I think part of it is that um, it's not just the right direction, wrong direction track. Which wrong direction is high? I mean, there's this inherent pessimism, this loss of trust in all institutions. Americans feeling like you know the the United States isn't you know a great force in the world. Uh, There, people are feeling very down on their country more so than they ever have in the past. And I think that's a a number of things, political and social issues arise in mass shootings. Uh, the just intransigence on the part of political leaders and dysfunction in congress but in terms of like i think it all goes back you really need someone who can lead and speak to that and who's trustworthy and credible. and we don't have those people um we don't have them right now in positions of authority in government so the question is is there somebody outside of government who can be that voice and and, uh, and say, hey, here are the problems. Yeah. Here's what we should be doing. Um, there is a lot of common cause to, to unite Americans. You have this broad swath of the middle that are in agreement on many of these issues, but they feel uh, not heard and they feel like they're completely disconnected because of how extreme both parties are. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I've thought about this so many times and I don't know that there's any magic, it looks or.
1: Let me ask this follow up question. Is localism dead? Because all the way through the history of the United States, if we would have identified we had a problem like this, the answer would have always been it has to originate at the local,
0: local level. level yeah. If
1: you're not happy with your politics, well, just lower your eye level. If you're not happy with the federal government, are you happy in your state? Are you happy in your county? Are you happy in your town? Most people, as you come down that realm – that 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 ladder they find a level that they feel comfortable with and they say they're fairly competent.
0: Well I, are I, we just
1: I, done with that and now there has to be some overarching thing or we're just not going to be happy.
0: Well I see and I think that's where there used to always be a difference because people that would be frustrated or upset with federal politics would be happy within their communities local level yeah. government. That was always detached from federal but now we've had this um basically from the top down um, this trickle down, for lack of a better term, of the toxicity and vitriol of the in federal politics all the way down to local level. Yeah. I mean, so that in many cases, local politics resembles national and federal. Um, and this started before 2020, but it really came to a head 2020 during the mask mandate debates and the emergence of COVID with local school boards and local county commissions and city councils. So anymore, I think that those um, elections are – and those um, organizations are just consumed by the same issues that divide people at the federal level.
1: They seem to be talking – federal-level issues seem to be permeating now. Into local, yeah. Everything. And everybody has their eyes up, I think, looking for the solution.
0: At the federal level, yeah. yeah. Which I still think, like, if there is going to be a solution, it's going to come still at the local level because it's going to happen much more quickly yeah. um, than it would ever happen at the federal level. And it would be a model. We've always been about you know, laboratory of democracy, right? We see models at the local um, state level that work, and then those get adopted nationwide or gain popularity. Uh, so that's why it's, it's going to be at the local level at some point. But again, I think it has to be a, a person who emerges, who you can point to that success yeah. and then emulate it's, that. It
1: feels like the, the model isn't broke. We're just not using the model the way it was intended. Yeah. We're, we, we, we took a tool out of the toolbox and we're trying to drive in a nail with a, with a, with a screwdriver. And when we don't get what we want, we complain bitterly
0: without realizing that the outcome
1: was designed. That's how this is supposed Work.
0: Well, and partially, and this is also trickled down local level from federal, there's been – we've seen incentivized the uh, willingness to, to do nothing, to accomplish nothing. Yes. Uh, you know, build up your brand instead yep. and fundraise based off of dysfunction and the inability to solve for major problems like immigration, like uh, budgeting, all of these issues that we fight over now year after year, cycle after cycle. And that has trickled down to the local level as well because politicians are seen, hey, that works. That will keep me in office. It's not effective for me to solve problems because I don't raise money as easily off of that as I do on not solving problems. <laughs> and I
1: don't know anybody on my side that's happy with the fact that now 50 individual states get to decide the abortion issue. Yeah. And nobody that I hang out with, could be wrong, has shown any excitement or enthusiasm for now you just have to change the mind of your state. I live in Missouri, one of the two or three states that had the trigger law that immediately put back an abortion. We have a long fight to go. But if we're willing to, we can fight that fight now on ground that we can win because we don't have to have a national referendum. We just True. have to change so many minds in Missouri. Is that going but- to be hard? Absolutely.
0: I think part of the I think daunting aspect of that is you have to also have to look at the role gerrymandering has played, sure. especially in state house and yep. state senate districts. And that goes back to why electoral reform is more vital than ever on the local level to be able to offset some of that and have a more equal playing field. And, and
1: this is what I always at this is what I always ask people. Tell me what when somebody starts complaining bitterly about Missouri and we need a national law and all this stuff. I just I just asked them, what what do you want? Are you saying that it's not worth it to have political policy defined in the state and that you would be unhappy with a judgment in the state of Missouri, let's say, that made abortion legal, but it was still illegal in Missouri. Are, are you, or, I'm sorry, in Texas. So are you saying that the fight to make abortion legal in just Missouri isn't worth it? Because you seem to be very engaged the fight at the national level. But once it came down to Missouri— what is it? Are you discouraged by the fact that now you're starting two laps behind and it's going to take 10, 15, 20 years possibly to change? Is that – or you just – or are you mad about – or is it you just want it to happen? I, I keep asking people, this is happening the way it's supposed to happen. So are you saying you don't like the model anymore and you want a new one? What, what actually is not working in your mind? And people can never really answer that. Because, again, things that are not solvable at the federal level get kicked back to the states. That's how it's supposed to be. Are you saying that's not what you want? If you're saying that's not what you want, are you saying you don't want a federal system? Where are we going with this? And that's where I get lost with people all the the time. I I just want abortion to be legal. Uh Okay? I get that. Your opportunity now is in the state that you live in. You should direct your energies, monies, efforts Well, and hopefully this is a
0: wake-up call now because I think the left for the longest time has focused only on federal, not on local, particularly like Mm -hmm. on the power that state attorney generals wield, state secretary of states. And so uh, the Republicans have really built up this massive advantage state by state within um, state elected officials Mm -hmm. and then within state houses. I mean Democrats um, have not had a majority of the state houses of – Uh, the country in a long time i mean going back to probably 2010 elections so again there's grassroots work that needs to be done there to be able to reverse some of these policy changes that have come down from the supreme court that work should have started years ago but to your point so much of the focus has been on the federal side
1: yeah and people just don't know how to function at a state level yeah they just you know i for somebody that gives to planned parenthood every month you could say, well, that's helping at a, at a national level. Now, there is no donating to Planned Parenthood for the state of Missouri if you want that money to go to abortion. Right. So what you were doing before that made you feel like you were in the fight and you were doing something now makes no, no difference. And I think that's where people are really fueling some of their, their anger about this. How that comes out for electoral politics, I'm not 100% sure. But, hmm. Did you see Bill De Blasio dropped out of his? Uh, I did see that race. The congressional race. Yeah. Did you think did Bill De Blasio had any future in, oh, no. in you know democratic politics? Not at all? at all. No, not at all. Yeah, collectively America could just give him the finger once and just. Yeah, say, I mean, he's another example
0: of a politician with an ego that just seems to be immune yeah. to what popular um, support is. Let's
1: holding. end on what's your thoughts about what's happening in the UK and who's going to be the next prime minister there.
0: Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, That seems uh, to be, I mean, completely up in the air right now. There's Um, like an Indian gentleman and some lady, right? There, there is. Yeah, there were.
1: Look at me play it all. You know, identity politics there, but that's how I, that's how I saw him on Twitter.
0: There, there's three candidates. I think those two are considered the the most likely to emerge, (laughs) but but there are three that are being bandied about. Um, I think after this next week, there's some jockeying going on. There would be an idea of who might have greater support. And, again, it all comes down to collective vote haggling you know, among um, the members of parliament who you know, essentially decide who that next uh, prime minister will be. So,
1: Do you think the American people would ever accept a system where no U.K. citizen is going to vote for the next prime minister
0: is my understanding? Right, that's correct. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, we do you we think have it the so American agreeing. people would ever swallow already, that? Probably I, wouldn't. You know, probably would, but you know, we've already kind of acclimated to that kind of system. We used to have a lot of split ticket voting between president yeah. and a member of Congress. That is much less so now. In fact, that is um, an extreme minority in terms of how people vote. So we already kind of vote in that frame of mind, um, which is how. And have, as someone who has worked elections in the UK, I remember going door to door, and it would be you know vote conservative party vote for your member of uh, parliament so and so and the whole idea was people inherently know they're voting for then david cameron who was the prime minister um and for complete control of the government to go to that party so yes you're voting for the friendly face and the name on the pla- the palm card but you're also voting for complete government control by that party yeah and so that's different than our system but at the same time We've become so much more polarized that that's kind yeah. of already happening. And they've the been multiple.
1: through one round of this, and they have like two more or something? Yeah,
0: it's multiple rounds. And basically, so those with less votes drop off and votes get you know reallocated, not unlike a um, – uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the, the voting system uh, that has started to be implemented, part of the re- reform efforts like in Maine – um, the like
1: the, the digital system or the, oh no, the, uh, um, the graduated scale yes, thing. I can't, yeah why, why did like, that term just completely
0: it, just keep, well, you know what I'm talking yes, about? It's left my mind. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Keep talking. I'll think of it. Okay. So not unlike that, right? So you have votes that are reallocated. And so that's why you have the multiple rounds of voting. Uh, and so it ensures an outcome where you have someone who has kind of the yeah. broad base of support among the most members of the party.
1: Who would be president right now if the House and Senate voted for for the presidency?
0: Oh, <laughs> good God, that would be that'd be a fight. Oh, that would be yeah. I wow. I, I I've always felt I've you know we've come close to you know having scenarios where the the presidency would be decided in the House, which I'm glad that has never happened. And the way that our Constitution outlines that is that each state, if there was a contested presidential election. Would get one vote, and so it'd be the majority of uh, from the House of Representatives, yeah. congressman from that state, whoever majority decides out of you know the voting members, and one vote goes to that person. But that could get really crazy really quickly.
1: I, I don't have any any knowledge of this. I'm just kind of making this up. But there's no so being the president is so much different. It sounds like than being the prime minister. The president has almost like a direct connection with the American people. Yeah. They win that office by forming some type of relationship with the American – directly with the American people.
0: Because they're the only uh, person that uh, is voted on by the entire country at once. Either
1: you want to go have a beer with the guy or you like some policy, but you've got to feel it personally, I think, to to vote for –
0: the, the president. Right. And
1: in this system, that seems like that's completely divorced and it's all it's, party. It's
0: much more detached. Yes. And so, <clears throat> um, you know, and, and I would say British people, they all have opinions like we do about their prime minister at any given time. But they're a little bit more distant and detached. They're not as strong yeah. and emotional because you're right. Those bonds aren't there because you're not voting directly for the name.
1: So how did Boris Johnson win an election of PMs? Because you could just look at that guy and see, this guy's just a pain in the ass wherever he goes. Yeah. How did his own people, I guess, who had to know, hey, this guy's got some guy got some issues, how did, how did he win election?
0: I mean, part of it was circumstance because Theresa May – uh no. so she was a former pm her government fell vote of no confidence cuz she wasn't able to enact brexit Uh, And it was causing a strain and a lot of dysfunction and chaos, not knowing where the UK was going to be uh, and the deadline approaching with the EU to decide that. And Boris Johnson had made that his singular issue. He had been out there in support of Brexit going back to when he was mayor of London, back before he was a member of parliament. So he was able to swoop in and said, hey, I've been arguing for this. I have a plan. Follow my plan. We'll get this done. Um, It'll be seamless. And so people, you know, who didn't like him or thought he was kind of ridiculous or, you know, kind of erratic— They didn't respect the fact that, yeah, I mean, this guy's been out front on this since day one. Um, He's been an authority on this, so I may not like his personality. He he
1: turned that election to a single issue that he was was in in That he was the sole person able to execute on Brexit. It's a good
0: political move, which is good. But, you know, again, ironically, he's run into some of the same issues, and so Brexit is still somewhat of a cluster because there was no easy way to implement this anyway. But, yeah, that's another story.
1: As as Trump was able to convince, convince America that Americans and Trump and I'm the only one that can save it.
0: I alone can fix it. Boris Johnson said. said,
1: "I'm the only one that can get us through Brexit." Yes, and that's what he used. And as soon as that didn't go as well, and other things happened, they they were they were done with. Yep, him. much much like Trump.
0: Scandal in government, COVID, and multiple things, and then he's done. Yeah.
1: Brandon, listen, it's a cr- crisp 100 degrees here today. I think it's this week has been about about as hot as it can get, I think. And no, that's not true. It can get hotter, but it's pretty, very hot. Yeah. It's pretty hot here. Nothing like London or, or France, which I think hit a, a high of like 106 all-time one day this records week.
0: broken and and you have and to record before was 101 that's a pretty big jump and these are uh northern countries i rarely yeah. see temperatures like this like the average in london this time of year is like uh, late, uh upper 70s lower 80s yeah so just just for some geography
1: these countries would be located in canada yes. if they were in north america like the like the middle to middle upper part of canada so for them to be 106 degrees that's that's ridiculous.
0: You also have wildfires out of control no. in France and Germany, which is unheard of in those countries. And you have, to, you have a lot of deaths due to heat exhaustion because you also have to remember that most Europeans don't have air conditioning yeah. because they've never needed it. And there's also an aversion to it over there, much more so than here. So.
1: I just can't see Europe completely retooling their Their, their lifestyles and, and infrastructure, lifestyle. yeah. That's just not going to happen. They're just going to have to deal with it. Uh You do anything fun for for the tonight or the summer or anything? Uh, We're trying it? to end on something fun, but I can't. Oh. It's been a pretty unfun conversation the whole time for topics. It so. has been, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I'm I, i I'm trying to stay cool right now. But uh, is your uh, travel
1: schedule died down for the summer?
0: Died down a little bit. I have to go out to Ohio for some client work in a couple of weeks.
1: What part of it? What, what city? Columbus. Okay, Columbus is pretty cool. Which I've Ohio. never been to Columbus. Yeah. So That's central Ohio, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I've
0: been to Cleveland once, never been to Columbus.
1: Yeah. Ohio's a pretty cool state. It's yeah. huge. And there's like... Five or six cities in Ohio that
0: have over a million people? Yeah. So, yeah, you have Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo. Yeah. What's uh, the big Akron, one? is that another Akron's one? Akron's another
1: here? one. There's a ton of people in, in Ohio. That's why, yeah. again— Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati, where, uh, yeah, Republicans are going to have to take Ohio moving forward if they have any—, any uh, that and has to be
0: locked down. Yeah. I'm going to see Imagine Dragons in a couple of weeks. When the that's pretty today, good. So, yeah,
1: I think we're going to a sporting game tonight. We're not going to stay. Oh, the whole I was going to say, gosh, that's we are be we're not staying. The whole <laughs> okay, time. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I moved my 22 uh, year old daughter back home with us yesterday. Oh, okay. She graduated college. She's got a job yes. now. She's moved back to KC. I that's
0: awesome. She's all set. Yeah.
1: Now we got to get that kid out of the house by the end of the year. Because once your kids move out, you're done with. Having yeah. kids in your house you don't want them back so
0: yeah not long yeah. term
1: <laughs> it's like okay kate let, let's get on the stick here because we got to go <laughs> that's our thanks brandon thanks craig thanks for listening to two men in the middle make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts check out our website at two men drop us an email at two men in the middle at gmail.com or tweet at us at two men in the middle we'll see you next week